Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode number 75. Yes, that's the one thing I knew about going into today. Oh, you did? I should, I should know what we're talking about and things of that nature, but eh, just that this was the 75th episode, which is another milestone. We're getting closer, creeping closer and closer to that big 100. Do you think we'll be doing these together in person before 100? That's ah, a good question. Interesting what's, question. What's the wow. over-under on which podcast episode we will actually see each other again? Well, Dave, if we're doing them at the current pace of one per month, <laughs> I sure hope that in over two years we're seeing each other. Yeah, we have to up the ante a little bit. But, yeah, I guess we will see each other before number 100 at this rate. Yeah, I sure hope so. That We're going to be uh, pretty miserable if we're not, right? Uh, yeah. These are the dog days of COVID. I was just thinking, like, the dog days of summer. <clears throat> Except I, the dog days of summer without COVID were so much more fun than the dog days of COVID. Yeah. Dog days of COVID are just gray, cold, and gross, <laughs> wet snow. Not good. Okay. Um, so I titled this episode, I've already called my shot on what I'm going to title it. I'm going to call it Talking Taxes. Uh, because I do want to spend the bulk of the time talking about that. But Dave, you sent me an article about this. My brother-in-law has been texting me. I've gotten a couple of questions from other clients. So I feel like we have to talk about uh, what's going on with GameStop. And as of today, also, I guess, AMC stock. AMC, right. Yeah. So uh, let me set the story here for you if you're not into the geeky world of following finance and, uh, frankly, message boards about stocks and things like that. Um, the stock GameStop, and if you're not familiar, GameStop is a retail establishment where you can go in and buy the latest video games. Uh, as is the story with many retail establishments, they're in a bit of trouble uh, they've not had good sales. Obviously, people are buying games digitally and not going to any retail places. So what's happened is there's a lot of big investors, in particular in hedge funds, that will do something called shorting a stock. Now, if you've heard that term before and you don't know exactly what it means, don't worry. You're probably in good company. But the easy way to understand shorting a stock is Normally, when I buy a stock, I am buying a stock, let's say for $100, and I hope that it goes up. I am long in that stock. 
If it goes up to $110 and I sell, I made $10 profit. When you are shorting a stock, it is just the opposite. You, at $100, and I won't get into the mechanics of how it works, but at $100, you are selling the stock and you're hoping the price goes down. So if it goes down to 90, you just made $10. So that's the setup here is there are a lot of institutional investors, hedge funds who are short on the stock. Well, this message board, and I don't know, Dave, are you familiar with Reddit? Do you go on Reddit at all? I don't go on it, but I've heard of it. Okay. I actually go on Reddit and it's, it's a great way to just kill time and, you know, just like any of these social media type of things, you, you look up and all of a sudden you've been staring at it for 15 minutes and you don't know where that time went. Uh, Reddit is very much like this. People post articles or links or thoughts or whatever and people can upvote it or downvote it. Well, there is a Reddit, a subreddit. You're, you're going to learn all these new terms today. This is subreddit. exciting for us old people. <laughs> a subreddit called Wall Street Bet. And I actually follow this, you know, me and 2.8 million other people. And, you know, it's usually just people who are day trading, a lot of the Robin Hood investor type of people. And they're throwing out investment ideas and kind of gambling on things. Well, Wall Street Bets has sort of taken up the case of GameStop in particular. And then I guess as of today, AMC, I didn't even know about that until Dave sent me this link. And basically said, all these people are short on GameStop. Let's go the other way and let's buy it and go long. And what you've seen is the GameStop price up sevenfold, so 700% in, I don't know, a couple of week time period here. And it's interesting and it's caught the attention of a lot of people on Wall Street because you've got all of these super sophisticated hedge fund investors who are just losing their shirts because this Reddit subreddit has has decided to go in and yeah. buy stuff. So here's my first question. So this yeah. so this is all done to basically burn the hedge fund, the big hedge fund shorters. Yes, sort of. correct? Yeah, that's the point of it. To kind of stick it to them. So that's um, why they picked something like GameStop, which is basically the modern version of Blockbuster. Yeah, it's like GameStop is like now. So when I first looked at this, not knowing anything, which is why I wanted you to explain some of this to all of us. It's like, why is GameStop doing well? Right. It's like that place is dead. It's in the mall, and it was dead. I went there once with my son, and it was dead when he was younger. And in the mall, that's already dead. I didn't even get it. Right. So that's that's what's going on. Um, so they did AMC. So AMC would be the same thing. Nobody's going to a movie theater, and movie theaters aren't looking, you know, great. Right. Exactly. In the near future, so it's the same kind of thing. Now, you know, the reason why I wouldn't go near it with a, you know, 20-foot pole is at some point everyone's going to decide the game is over, the, the fun has been had, and they're going to start selling. And then all of a sudden the stock that's gone up sevenfold – you know, I'm not going to make any predictions, but I would guess it's probably going to come down quite a bit. Um, so, all right, that was just kind of an interesting thing. And frankly, by the time you listen to this, you know, because it usually takes us a few days to get it uh, approved and posted, 
who knows? It could be over and done with, and GameStop could be out of the news, and and this whole whole fun saga could be behind us. But um, in the bigger picture, and this is the main reason I wanted to talk about this today, we, in a sense, are lumped in with that. People, we do retirement planning. We invest in funds, and every fund we have with a client has thousands of companies, right. let alone let alone the diversity of those funds we're talking tens of thousands so when you but still to a, a layperson well there's that and there's what you guys do right what's the difference <laughs> yeah. and that's why i think it's important to note the vast scope of what can happen in the world of the stock market that's a good point because i i don't feel like i get that as much anymore but we used i feel like i used to get that more where people would say, oh, well, you're investing. It's the same thing as gambling. And no, no, no. Well, 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 I'm not saying we get it now based on running capital retirement strategies forever and dealing with our clients. And I'm talking about the business in general. Yeah. Or a young advisor who might be working with a firm like ours. In general, and people aren't as sophisticated. I mean, sure. my gosh. Obviously, they're not as sophisticated some people. We're still lumped into the same category of – Yep. Yeah. And and what we described there, that is like gambling and uh proper investment management should not be like gambling. Like gambling. It's, it's like a mixture of gambling and the financial version of storming the capital. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's that's an analogy I didn't know we'd be making. Um all right, let's shift gears on that note to what I really wanted to talk about, the meat and the substance here. And well, like I said, I'm going to title this episode Talking Taxes. And Dave, I'm going to task you with pulling me out of the weeds if I get too far in, because yes. there are a lot of weeds that we could go into. And frankly, we don't need to on a format like this. But I was thinking about this time of year. A lot of people are thinking about their taxes. I don't know about you, Dave, but I started to get some of the 1099s that we get every year. Of course uh, I have. So, you know, I'm, I'm starting to think about, oh gosh, I got to put all this stuff together. And as small business owners, it's a little more complicated for us, but everybody faces this. And I started to just jot down a bunch of notes here to say, okay, what are some things that people should think about, know about, have on their minds with regards to taxes when it comes to their retirement plan. And always we're going to make the caution that we are not CPAs. We're not accountants. We don't do your taxes for you. Um, But with any investment plan and retirement plan, we've got to be aware of what the tax impact is and aware of your overall tax situation. So, Here we go. First of all, with 1099s, this is a very common question people ask, aren't the company supposed to have the 1099s for my brokerage account to me by the end of January? And that used to be the rule. It is now February 15th. So I guarantee we'll probably get a couple of dozen, well, maybe that's a bit much, maybe a dozen emails or phone calls in the next week of people saying, where is my 1099? Probably not going to come to you until February 15th. If you are somebody who is invested in limited liability partnerships and things like that, 
they've got all the way until March to be able to send you those K-1s. And if you've dealt with those before, they can be a real pain. So in general, we try to avoid those for people. All right. So what are some of the things that I think everyone should be aware of? First of all, uh, IRAs. Um, you know, I think most people know you can contribute to a traditional IRA, take a deduction for that contribution, but the income threshold to do that is fairly low. Uh, depending on, you know, if you're married filing jointly, I think it's somewhere around $80,000. So if you make more than that, you can't take a deduction for that traditional IRA. What's a little bit higher, quite a bit higher, is making a Roth IRA contribution. Now, with the Roth IRA, you put money in, you don't get a deduction up front. So there's no, it's not reducing your taxes now. But when that money comes out, it's going to come out tax-free. And you can make, as a married couple, you can make up to 198000 and still contribute to the Roth IRA. Um, another note that I put down here, HSAs. Uh, Dave, I believe you've got a, a high deductible health insurance plan, right? Oh, about as high as it can get. <laughs> I know you love to to tell people what a great health insurance deal you it's have. Awesome. It's awesome. But you're right, as you're about to explain, the HSA contribution is, is definitely a help. Yeah. So HSAs, if you have a high deductible plan, this is different than an FSA. So an FSA, anybody whose employer offers that can contribute to it. You know, so my, I'm, I'm not in the same health insurance situation as Dave, uh, because my wife works for the government and we can get the federal health insurance plan much, much cheaper than we could if we had to do like Dave does and get the uh, Obamacare plan. Um, so we can contribute, my wife and I, to an FSA. And an FSA, we can put away $2,700 and we can use that money to pay for any sort of health care expenses during the year. So we can pay for uh, co-pays, we can pay for prescriptions, we can pay for, um, you know, even certain medical supplies that you buy, things like that. But at the end of the year, if you haven't used your FSA money, it's gone. You know, there's, there's a little bit of leeway in what you can carry over, but basically you have to use it in that year. With the HSA that Dave contributes to, you can contribute for a family up to $7,200 and that money can be invested and accumulate going forward. And this is really an awesome tax benefit. If you have this, you need to be taking advantage of it. Um, because you can contribute 7200 you can take a deduction for that full amount, and when the money comes out, if it's used for medical expenses, it comes out tax-free. So, you know, that's really the best deal, because if you think about most retirement accounts, you're either getting the deduction up front um, or you're getting tax-free income on the backside. Most of the time, you're not getting both of those. Um I deserve that based on the health plan I have. Yeah. But having said that, I'm glad I have it. Right. Um, okay. Next thing that I wrote down here that we've got to be aware of when we're taking retirement income, you know, most people just think, okay, I'm retired. I'm going to take 
a set amount for my traditional IRA, for my brokerage account, Social Security, not really think about it. You've got to be aware of the impact on your Medicare premiums. Um, so for those of you who are over 65, you know that your premiums for Medicare can vary based on your income. So if you're an individual and your income's less than 88000 your Medicare Part B premium is $148.50. But if you go to $88,001, so just a little bit over that $88,000, you are now paying an extra $59 a month. And if you go up to $111,000, now you are paying $148 a month more. And I won't go through all of this because I sense I'm going too far into the weeds, um, but you get the idea is that you can pay a lot more in premiums if your taxable income crosses that threshold. So what options or choices do you have? We know that when you take income in retirement, anything you take out of a traditional IRA is 100% taxable. And any income that you get from a pension that's going to be, for the most part, taxable. And if you're getting Social Security, that's about 85% taxable. So what you can do is, if you're close to one of those thresholds, you could reduce your traditional IRA distributions and take more money from a Roth IRA or from a, a brokerage account. And we have a lot of clients where we do this every year you know, come the last quarter of the year, we're trying to reconcile how do we stay underneath that threshold? Because in some cases, that could be a difference of you know, $2,000 a year in premiums the next year. Um, right. So and that one requires a little bit of planning. Absolutely. Cause you need to be on top of that every year so that you, you know, and it's also a good argument for trying to get that Roth IRA money if you can before you're yeah. on Medicare or while that, you're on Medicare. That's a great point because, um, you know, we talk about, um, we talk about having diversification within your portfolio and we want to have large cap and small cap and international and bonds and real estate and all of that. Um, we don't talk as much and maybe we, we should about tax diversification. Um, because tax diversification is essentially having some money in a Roth, having some money in a traditional IRA a brokerage account, you know, other sources like that. Um, and just having a little bit of money in a Roth could give you that flexibility that, that saves you quite a bit of money on your Medicare premiums. Now, on that similar note, um, anybody who's met with us probably in the last year or so, Dave, would you say we've been talking more and more uh, to people about Roth conversions? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when, obviously, people really fit the, you know, the profile. Yeah. And, you know, here's the, the real easy case for Roth conversions. Um, if you take a look at the taxes right now, um, President Trump, former President Trump, passed that tax cut uh, back in 2017. And that took our tax rates in this country to close to the lowest that they've ever been over the the 100 some year history of the income tax. So prior to the, you know, mid 1910s or so, we didn't have an income tax in this country. Um so over the last 100 years, 
we're pretty much at the lowest that we've ever been at. Now, you combine that with the fact that we've got a huge national debt, we are running a deficit pretty much every year, we've got a lot of coronavirus stimulus, both packages passed by Congress, as well as actions taken by the Federal Reserve, and I don't think it really takes a, a you know an economist to figure out that probably taxes are going to be higher in the future. I'm willing to go out on that limb and say that. Um, now, what I don't know is when will they be higher? You know, is it going to be five years from now, ten years from now, you know, longer than that? Who really knows? Um, but I, I think the case is pretty strong for these Roth conversions. And, you know, what you look to do when you're doing a Roth conversion is let's say we've got a, a married couple, married filing jointly. They've got a bunch of different income sources and it all totals up to about $80,000. If we look at their situation and we say, okay, we want to convert enough so that you're just paying 12% federal income taxes. Well, the 12% tax bracket goes up to 81000 but we also know that this couple is going to be taking a standard deduction. So standard deduction, if they're over 65, you're talking $26,000. So in this case, this couple could convert $27,000, stay in that 12% tax bracket. And Ooh. ideally, they would do that, you know, a couple years in a row. So, you know, maybe they do that starting at 65. They do it all the way to maybe to 72. Um, and at 72, that's when you have to start taking money from your traditional IRA. So maybe in my imaginary example, that pushes the couple in a much higher tax bracket. What that gotcha. Okay, go, keep going. I'm sorry. I was going to say what that allows them to do is now they've converted 27,000 times seven years. They've converted a, a decent chunk of money into Roth IRAs. Um, and they've paid taxes now at 12%, where in the future, it's probably going to be a lot more than that. So if, if the equivalent tax rate goes up to 15 or 18 or 20%, they've just saved that differential there. That You know what? You were in the weeds. I'm going to I am. you now. But as you follow it, it's extremely important information. Um, a couple weeks ago, they had the National Podcast Awards. It was like a national thing. I forgot it was sponsored okay. by Radio One or Spotify or <clears throat> We didn't get we didn't get an award, I guess. I didn't hear it. Of course not. But what I was <laughs> gonna say is if you were to even break down this show, the first half, which was fun and and super interesting, but really didn't apply to too many of our clients at all, was of award-winning, maybe it'd be some, but the second half, which we should be doing, important information, which is going to help a lot of the people listening to this, if they made it that far, that nullifies you from any podcast award ever. (laughs) But that's doing our job on these podcasts. These podcasts are a public service. They're not just for entertainment. I admit it. entertainment at all. It's it's be much more fun just to talk about GameStop and shorting stocks and call options and all that stuff. It's just not applicable to, like you said, ninety nine percent of our our listening audience. You know what I'm almost almost imagining, Dave? I'm imagining maybe maybe next month for our newsletter, um, I could write up all of this basically into a, a blog post. 
um, and kind of summarize for people, you know, what are these tax things you should be thinking about? I think that's a great idea. That's a great idea because this, uh, like, it's not simple. You need to understand it, but it's this is this is, adds up for you if you're eligible to do this stuff. Yep. Um, all right, I've got two more things I want to hit on here. Uh, Dave, your favorite cocktail party wow people term? Um, what is it? Tax loss harvesting. <laughs> you got it. Um, tax loss harvesting. If you don't, if you don't know what that is, you want to impress your friends at a cocktail party. Um, basically what it is is let's say you invested a hundred thousand dollars in a, a mutual fund at the beginning of 2020. Remember way back then a year ago. Let's say you did it a year ago. Um, and then the coronavirus hit and your stock based mutual fund was down to 70,000. It's painful. It's, it stinks. But you're a long-term investor. What you are allowed to do, though, is to sell one fund or ETF and buy a different but similar fund or ETF. Why you would do that is, number one, you stayed invested, so you didn't sell and get out. But on paper, you just lost $30,000. And those $30,000 in losses can be used to offset other gains or even to a limited extent offset your income. Or if you don't use it, you can carry it forward to the next year. So um, now this only works in a, a non-IRA account. So you can't do this in IRAs, but you absolutely should be doing it in any of your brokerage accounts. Um, I actually wrote down something else that we pretty rarely talk about, but this was another thought. We talk about tax loss harvesting. I was thinking about gain harvesting. And if you're wondering... <laughs> What is gain? I've never even heard that before. I think you made that up. I Well, I've never actually used that term, um, but I was just dealing with a client, you and I were, um, and I was emailing him about this. He retired as of the end of last year. He's going to basically have two years of no income, which in our minds, this presented a great opportunity. And one of those opportunities is to sell an investment that he's in and pay zero capital gains tax. Because the way the tax law is right now, if you're in that 12% tax bracket or lower, your capital gains tax rate is zero. So, and then once he hits 65 and beyond, he's going to be in a much higher tax bracket because he's got, right. you know, other income coming in and so right. on. Social security. Or, so this is great when you don't have social Social Security is not coming in yet. You're retired right. yep. or not working very much, and then you're that's the sweet spot for this. Yep. So as long as he stays in that 12% bracket, he's in a 0% capital gains uh, situation. You know, versus if he just held on to this and sold it 10 years from now, you know, of course, I don't know what tax rates are going to be, but since he'll be making so much more income, he's going to probably be paying at least 15, maybe 20%. Um, so that that would be harvesting your gains if you're in that low tax situation. And the last good stuff. Is, okay, this is not because <laughs> it is in the weeds. You get to bring you out of the weeds. This is really good stuff, Steve. Well, I I think it's important stuff. Um, just sort of a side note, but you made me think about this. Um, I, 
I don't know if you've seen these ads. I know you go on a lot of the same financial websites and stuff. Um, and I don't know what they're called. It's called like master's level classes. And they've got, you know, master's level classes taught by people like Paul Krugman, you know, the economist, yes. uh, Nobel oh, yes. Prize winning economist or uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin, who's a historian, writes a lot of, you know, presidential history stuff. Um, I'm imagining we could have this master's level class on taxes from a financial advisor's perspective. <laughs> that That's what this really is. That is what this is, basically. This is, uh, we're really, I, I guess I'm a little upset that you've done so much homework for this episode. You're well, making you know, me look bad. Maybe once that's once in a while. <laughs> um, all right. Last thing I wrote down. Probably could have sat around thinking of more things, but uh, last one I wrote down, and this is particularly important when you're, you are getting those 1099s from brokerage accounts, from bank accounts, things like that, is taking a look at those and determining if you've got money in fixed income. So we say the term fixed income. What we're talking about are bonds, CDs, fixed annuities, things that are your safer money. It, you have to think about how that money is taxed. So if you've got a CD with a bank, which is pretty ridiculous right now because you're pretty much getting no interest, but if you've got a CD with a bank and you get a 1099, you're paying taxes like ordinary income. So whatever your tax bracket is, you're going to pay taxes on that just like ordinary income. And that's the case with CDs or with corporate bonds. Municipal bonds, on the other hand, you're going to get that interest federally tax-free, and depending on the state, it might be state tax-free as well, right? So that would be a partially tax-free type of investment. Another type of taxation on these, these fixed income products could be something in a, in an annuity. And an annuity, you don't pay taxes until you take money out. So you earn 2% interest on a fixed annuity. You're not going to pay taxes this year. You'll only pay taxes when you take that money out. So, you know, that's something, especially in a world where we're getting such low rates on bonds and, and fixed products like this, understanding how each one of those things is taxed, that, that can give you a nice advantage if you're either deferring taxes or, you know, getting some interest tax-free there. Right. This is also a commercial for working, not just with us, but any financial advisor who, especially when it comes to retirement planning or dealing with the age group that we deal with, to just your whole job being to recommend the best funds or investments to go into is it's important, but it's a tiny part of what this job needs to be these days with so much going on. In, in the world of taxation, especially when you're in your 60s and older. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through all of that. Hopefully it was informative, hopefully uh, helpful. And, hopefully. Uh, well, I wonder what percentage stuck through all of that. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. If, I you, think if you're listening to this part, you did stick through it. Thanks. Yeah. So it's actually important information. So. All right. We will hopefully check back in with you again soon. Take care.